0: Mac Power Users, episode 391, Workflows with Jason Kimes. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie?
1: I'm great, David. How are you?
0: Excellent. And we have a guest with us today. Welcome to the show, Jason Kimes. Thank you. Now, Jason is a, um, is a new kind of guest for us. We've had a lot of different folks from different walks of life that use Apple technology to do amazing things. Uh, I don't remember how we met each other, Jason. I think we started email corresponding. But uh, Jason's an artist uh, located in Jones County, South Mississippi. And he makes this beautiful artwork. And uh, I guess we should probably just take a minute to kind of describe it before we start, right? Sure. So what what he does, Jason does, is he takes objects like horseshoes or just different things. And he makes these massive sculptures with them. And the way he does it is he he uh, designs the whole thing on Apple technology, and then he does 3D rendering. And uh, it's kind of hard to explain, but these things are bigger than a man. <laughs> or some of them are man-sized, actually. Uh, but some of them are huge. And all of this stuff is done with technology on the back end.
2: Absolutely. I've always been interested in the tech technology technology in different aspects, and it's always been some part of my work just through the preparation, but recently it's become a large part of my work because it depends on it. When you talk about the larger-than-life-size sculpture that I've been working on recently.
1: So, give us a little bit of a, an idea of your background. Um, how, how did you first get into art and specifically producing this type of art?
2: Well, I've been into art for as long as I can remember. Uh, my I don't ever remember considering not being an artist. It's sort of been one of those things that I just, uh, understood as a child and never looked back, you know, never considered any other. And I went through undergraduate school and grad school for s- sculpture specifically
0: in the art programs. Yeah. And the whole time you're also a geek. So, uh, how long have you been using Apple stuff?
2: Not as long as I'd like to, like to be able to say. I remember, uh, I begged and begged and begged for my first iPod back in 2003 or 2004. It was about the period where it was the last chance I was going to get to have my parents buy me a significant Christmas gift, because after that, I was sort of a grown man. (laughs) But (laughs) I went out of my way to talk talk them into this, and it was my prized possession.
0: When I was a sophomore in high school, my parents bought me a new saxophone for Christmas, and my father said, son, Santa's done with you now. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <I'll never forget. laughs> that's
2: pretty much where I realized I was at at the time. So, you know, I, I pretty much told him, don't buy me anything else, anything you consider buy me put toward this iPod. And it was the fir- It was the third generation. It was the first one with a click wheel that didn't spin, but that had the four buttons across the top.
1: Yeah, that's, I think, really the when the iPod took off. That's when a lot of people got their first iPod.
2: I opened that, Chris, this morning, more excited than probably I'd ever been about anything and i could not use it for the first week until i found someone with a mac i don't believe at the time there was even windows for uh, uh itunes for windows how funny that must have just drove you nuts oh it was terrible so i've had i've had i've been into apple ever since just realizing with that first product how nice it was but i never really pulled the trigger on going to a mac until about 2009 i believe But ever since then, it's been, I wish so bad I could go back further
0: and tell myself what I was missing, sticking, you know, staying on a PC. Well, it does that for you. I I feel like the Apple stuff, I've always, and I've said this on the show before, but I feel like. The thing about Apple that I really appreciated was it unleashes your art, art side. I mean, so often using computers, you spend so much time defragging disks and antivirusing and all this stuff just to keep it running with a with a Mac. One of the things you immediately get is, no, no, you can just make music or make art or whatever it is you want to do with this device. And you don't need to worry about that stuff so much, which is great.
1: And when did you realize that you could meld kind of your two loves, one for technology and and one for art together? When did that start?
2: It started, uh, several years ago when I first started drawing on the iPad, you know, that was way before the Apple pencil. So I went through dozens of stylus or styli to find something that was suitable. And the ones that I always used that were the best were the Adonit with the little clear disc.
0: Yeah. The jot stylus, I think they called it.
2: Yeah. The little, the little, the fat rubber nib,
0: all those styluses. I don't really see how anybody did anything with those. And the Adonit had this little clear plastic disc at the tip, and every time you touch your screen, it was like tapping glass. It was uh, it was super annoying, the noise of it. But you could actually see where the tip was, and, and you could draw somewhat. Yeah, it was the closest thing to having a sharpened drawing pencil. And you'd done that before, I guess I would some all on paper?
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sketch ba- you know, sketch sketchbooks upon sketchbooks. I mean, I've got a bookshelf full of old sketchbooks that I've drawn, that I've, you know, filled up over the years.
1: So when they introduced the iPad Pro with pencil support, y- you must have just been ec- ecstatic.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, the iPad sounded great, but the pencil, the pencil to me was the best part of that entire keynote.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, that, that's right in your wheelhouse, brother, right?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I could not have been happier about it. It took, took me probably another nine months to uh, to get one, but... I finally pulled the trigger on that last year.
0: That's the problem Apple has is nobody has ever really do for a new iPad. They just keep running and nobody buys a new one. <laughs> yeah,
2: my kids are currently using that little iPad mini. So, I mean, we've got three iPads in the house that have already been passed down. You know, I, I bought my wife the very first iPad probably six months after it came out and they're still using it.
1: Now, just out of curiosity, did you go with the, the big one, the 12-inch iPad, or uh, the, the smaller 9.7-inch one to use for your, your artwork?
2: Well, when I bought it, there was only the 12.9. They had not released the smaller Pro yet, but I mean, the whole point of getting it was as a drawing tablet, so I never would have considered the smaller one anyway, other than for the the True Tone aspects, but
0: so now having gone from the non Pro iPad to the Pro iPad with the built-in Apple Pencil support, uh what's your feeling? I mean, is the Apple Pencil as good as they say it is? I mean, what's your feeling on that? It is for me. I mean, it's every bit as good as they say it is.
2: Uh I don't have a single complaint about the iPad. I mean, the Apple Pencil. I mean, I've heard other people bring this up but it does tend to lose battery because I think it's searching for a connection just in the bag with the iPad, but it charges so easily that that's not really an issue either. So um, I don't have the first complaint about the pencil, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, that that I experienced that, too, because I carry the pencil in my bag with my iPad and I'll have it charged up and then just like a couple days of being in the bag, I'll pull it out and the battery is significantly drained because... Uh, Even though I haven't been using it, it's been in close proximity to the iPad that it's paired to the whole time. Like Jason says, I mean, you just take the cap off and you plug it in. And it's funny because I don't even use that little dongle thing anymore. You you know, when you first get it, they give you like a, a, it's a plug with two female lightning plugs on it. So you can plug it into a normal lightning cord and charge the pencil. But I just charge it just in the device. It doesn't, it's so fast if you just plug it in. Just do a little bit of other work for a few minutes with the things you know hanging off the end, and you're good,
2: yeah, you know I don't think I've used that dongle yet
1: so we're we're going to go in depth into your your workflows, starting from you know sketching and to getting into actually modeling and and all of those things, but before we go there, I think it would probably be helpful for our listeners. To hear you give us kind of a general overview of what you do and how the process works, and and don't go too much in depth because because we're gonna we're gonna dive deep in a few minutes. But tell us a little bit about how you go from from concept to iPad to um, to product, and and then we'll we'll use that as a diving board to to go deep from there.
2: Uh, I didn't. I never conscientiously considered myself a figurative artist, but over the years, my art has always been related to the figure you know i was I'm naturally drawn to that honestly without even too much consideration
1: now when you say the figure, do you mean the human figure?
2: yes, the human figure, yes, all right, yeah. just
1: clarifying for the all of us non artists out here
2: yeah <laughs> yeah, the human figure, and it's you know it's a stand in for humanity or the individual or just any you know any form of that it's as opposed to the natural world or architecture or the built environment that or you know the animal kingdom, what have you getting to the technology the app like I, like we've already discussed, the iPad pro is my new sketchpad or sketchbook. Not only is it so easy to sketch on with the Apple pencil, but one of the best aspects of it is having access to the photos app. Uh, I tend to take more photos with my iPhone and Use iCloud Photo Library to access those on my uh, iPad Pro. But with that, I can always have reference photos if I've taken images of uh, something specific, or I can uh, even searching online and and saving images from Safari to go straight to uh, the Photos Library. Those are things that I can bring into the drawing apps on the iPad Pro and use layers to uh, just completely deconstruct them, or draw on top of them, or or, you know, do all kinds of different compositions. So it's not just a t- drawing tablet. It's a it's an entire composition device, basically.
0: Okay, and, and I do want to tear that apart more, but um, I I feel like uh, Katie and I have the benefit. We've watched your videos and seen your website, and there's some folks right now that are stuck in traffic, <laughs> so they don't have the opportunity. So tell them just briefly what you do with those drawings and, and what the final product ends up looking like.
2: A few years after graduate school, I started really wanting to work on a larger scale. I had a friend of mine who I was able to convince him to let me wrap him up in plaster. So it different, just strips of fabric with plaster embedded that you soak in water and then wrap up. It's It's almost identical to when you break your arm and you get a cast put on your arm. That is what I did to his entire body. So I cut the plaster mold off. So I essentially had an an egg, if you will, of a, of a human form had a front and a back of his body.
0: That must be a really good friend. I just have to say it's a really good friend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, there's nobody else that I could have that uh, would have done this. And I mean, even if they had been willing to, he's the only person I can tell you now after having gone through it myself that, that had the Zen like quality to just completely remove himself because I've used, I've tried other models and they can't take it. I mean, they, they they might take it all the way, but as soon as you cover their head, after about five minutes, they are flipping out. To know that I started with him and have worked with him for so long and he's been such an old friend, it's it's really just insane how coincidental that, that turned out to be. Because I've used him for other molds, too. I've always been interested in using small th- pieces to build or construct a larger object. So I had this plaster mold. But instead of pouring metal into it, I had four drums of these little round punches. It's a byproduct of an industrial process where they punch holes into steel instead of
0: drilling holes. Like a little thick piece of steel in a circle.
2: Exactly, yeah. If you dump out the hole punch, uh, like your paper hole punch, all the little little white circles you get, it's those except uh, in steel and maybe half an inch thick by an inch wide. So I took the plaster mold off of my uh, model friend and laid those into the inside of the mold to where they took up the space that he did and welded them together from the back side since they were steel. And then pulled the two pieces out once I had filled up both halves of the mold. And I had a figure, I had the front and back half of a figure that I then welded together. And lo and behold, I've just reproduced a full, full life size figure out of these little steel discs. Fast forward five, six, seven years after I've been working with those punches for so long and making these life-size figures, I really wanted to do something larger scale. And that brings us to the process that I've been working with recently that mandates the bigger technology or the bigger devices like the iMac that I have.
0: And just to summarize that, what you do now is you um you'll make a model and then you'll make a 3D image of it, right?
2: Exactly. So to go larger, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to scale up above life size. This kind of goes back to uh, one of my collectors, a person uh, who has purchased my artwork in the past. He donated some horseshoes to me, and I would have never considered using horseshoes other than the fact that he gave me a slew of them. I spent the better part of a year trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do with these horseshoes. Having such a a vast number of materials to use because the horseshoe is about six inches in diameter as opposed to those little punches which are only about an inch diameter at the largest so i could do something much bigger and i had wanted i've always fantasized about doing something larger than life size you know i knew that there was 3d software out there that could could take an object a 3d scanned model and it could uh slice it digitally and then uh produce the patterns that could then be cut out so you could upscale it to whatever you wanted if you had the patterns you could just upscale those to whatever dimensions you wanted to reproduce the the object uh i remember in toys or us or the or target or somewhere seeing these like r2d2 models or that you could you could buy and they were just a bunch of sheets of plywood that you just stacked up vertically and if you did it in the right order you ended up getting like a a stepped looking uh, model of r2d2 or some other you know star wars character so that sort of got me going on the hunt of using that to convert some more smaller scale clay models that that weren't life-size they were uh, modeled after you know by viewing a live model so they were so i had an accurate clay model that i knew that i could if i could get a good scan of that i could likely enlarge it.
0: Yeah, okay. And I don't want to give away the punchline here cuz we got a lot to talk about with that. But but what happened is and this is why I want everyone to go to 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 your website and look at what Jason did was he was able to make a model And and scan it 3D, make the slices. And you ended up making out of those horseshoes a man. How what was the final dimensions of that sculpture? It's nine feet. Yeah, nine feet. Nine feet
2: feet tall. Nine feet
0: tall but was even wider, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. It's like 12 feet long, I believe.
1: Yeah, And it's a crouching man that's nine feet, right?
2: Exactly. Yes, it's a crouching man that I that I enlarged four times. So it's four times the human scale. So if the final sculpture were to stand up, I want to say he's 24 and a half feet tall, something like that.
0: Yeah, and that's what you did using a combination of the iPad and the phone and the modeling and all this stuff. So, um, right after this, we're going to start taking that apart. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by Fracture. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast and tell them you heard about it at Mac Power Users and get those beautiful pictures off your phone and onto your walls. Just about everybody hearing the sound of my voice right now has an amazing camera in their pocket. And I bet you've taken some pretty great pictures with it over the last few years. So my question to you is, how come none of those pictures are on your walls? You know what I'm talking about. You've got these great pictures, and you look at them on this little five-inch screen. If you're like me... The reason you don't have those pictures on your walls is because it's a complete pain in the neck. You've got to get the picture blown up somewhere, and there's a bunch of decisions to be made about that. Then you've got to go to the framing store and pick the frame. And then you'll get the frame home, and your significant other will tell you that it doesn't match the room, so you've got to start over again. And then at the end of the day, you just decide you're not going to do that anymore. Fracture solves all of those problems. Fracture is a photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They print your photos directly onto glass and add a laser-cut rigid backing, so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include the wall anchor. You don't have to even worry about that. Just upload your digital image, pick your size, and you're done. The fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photos really pop, and the sleek frameless design lets your photos stand out while still matching any decorating style. So make a fracture and bring a special memory to life. Give it as a unique gift or decorate your home with the moments that tell your story. I've made fractures of my book covers. I've made them of pictures of my kids and I've given them as gifts. They're just a great product. Businesses also love using fracture prints to brighten up their workspaces or to give as corporate gifts or as awards. So be sure to ask them about professional and bulk order discounts before you order fractures come with a 60-day happiness guarantee so you're sure to love your order each fracture is handmade in gainesville florida from u.s source materials in their carbon neutral factory for more information visit fracturemecom podcast don't forget to mention mac power users in their one question survey it helps support the show that's fracturemecom podcast go out and get your beautiful pictures printed today
1: Let's break this down and talk about how you use some of the individual pieces. We, we talked a little bit about um, how you were using the iPad. So it sounds like the first thing you did to make that, that first piece is you needed a model. So you found one that you had handy. It happened to be you. Where does the iPad and the Apple Pencil come in for this um, and those types of things?
2: Well, I had always been interested in that, that pose, that position, because uh, it's got a little bit of a conceptual background, whereas that's the least amount of volume in three-dimensional space that I can make my body inhabit and still be self-supported. So that fr- there I did the first preliminary sketch just to see what I thought about uh the scale, the four-times scale that I had, that I'd considered. So that's the drawing of the the crouching figure with the man looking up at it. That was a, to illustrate the you know, the 9-foot scale and how that re- would relate to a viewer, where a viewer just walk up and look at it.
0: And what, what application are you using to do the that drawing on your iPad? I use Procreate.
2: And I've tried all the other drawing apps. I've, when a new one comes out and people get excited about it, I always download it or buy it and just try it. But it's one of those situations where you have a f- favorite app and it's almost impossible for another app to supersede that app. I always go back to Procreate.
1: Talk a little bit about Procreate and, and why you use it. What kind of features does it have specifically? Because I bet a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with it.
2: Well... It has a perfect balance of features for me. It has the uh you know the two-finger tap to erase, but it also has layers. And what I've found in other apps is if they have everything that I like and maybe even presented in a better way than Procreate, that those are the ones that for some strange reason don't have layers. And layers are so important to me because I can experiment by adding layer after layer and then simply go in there and delete a layer. You know, people who draw in layerless apps probably realistically more like paper because paper, you don't have layers. I have come to rely on the flexibility that the la- the different layers gives you that, you know, it's hard for me to work in a drawing that it doesn't have layers. I just become frustrated.
0: Yeah, I'm, as an amateur, I can tell you, I, I started drawing when I got an iPad Pro. It was never of interest to me. So I, l- I literally learned in Procreate and I can't recommend this enough for somebody who, who even just wants to start drawing. I think Procreate sells itself as a professional tool but it's not that expensive. And those layers are amazing. Like if you, if you draw a, a nice picture and you say, well, I want to try shading the face. You know, I want to try shading when I'm not a great artist. You put it on a separate layer and then you can just take that layer off if it doesn't look good. Or you can just erase that layer without messing up anything else in a drawing. It's super useful.
2: Absolutely. I'm not sure why they only charge $6 for it. I mean, because, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think I would have a problem paying $60 for it if I, if I had to, because it's, it's that
0: integral in my, uh, my process. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the iPad is they, they've got this great software with nobody makes any money on it and then it's hard to keep it going. But, uh, the other thing for a beginner about, um, procreate is, is, um, as Jason was referencing earlier, you can put a picture behind your drawing. So like, you know, for me, I like to draw like, you know, um I'm I've been drawing a drawing of Wally in um Procreate lately. You know Wally from the Disney movie. And I just have a picture from the web of him behind it and I'm tracing on top of some pieces of it to get the right dimensions. And then later you just you know you you remove that picture and then suddenly you think you're an artist when actually you're a tracer <laughs> at least in my case.
2: Do you use the uh the opacity of each level? I mean
0: of each layer? Yeah, to explain that a little bit for people so they understand.
2: Well, you can choose the individual layers that you have that you're working with and change the opacity level on an individual layer or all the layers. So, if you like, you said like if you wanted to trace something, sometimes it's not as easy to trace something because if if it's if the opacity is all the way up like the original image is, but if you choose the layer of the photo or the image of like Wally that you're drawing, and you take the opacity down to anywhere from 20 to 50 percent it's sort of like uh, looking at it through tracing paper and then you can see the image the marks that you're making over it much clearer and see what you're drawing whereas uh if it was a way if it was always at 100 percent, it's hard to tell what you've drawn over the image but that
0: was one of uh, my hallelujah moments when i figured that out because when i first started doing it i didn't turn the opacity on it some somebody finally told me no no you got to turn it down and then suddenly it became a lot easier
2: Here's uh, one of the most important uses I have of the iPad Pro is modeling the, cl- the small clay figure. Katie, you had mentioned that I took photographs of myself, and I did use those primarily to start the clay model. But throughout the modeling of the clay, I probably six to eight times throughout the process uh, go back and, and do a reference image. So I've got images of myself in that position, but through the process of modeling the clay, I'll take a photograph of the clay model from the same angle, from the same relative distance. Since it's, you know, since it's only nine inches tall, it might be, you know, twelve inches instead of uh, twelve feet where the iPad camera is placed, as opposed to where I took the camera was when I originally shot myself in that position. But I'll use Procreate to overlay the two images. Only iPad Pro, so I'll uh, I'll have the image of myself in that position, and I'll overlay the clay image. And I even go so far as to uh, add a couple layers, one on top of each layer of the one of myself and the one of the clay, and I'll draw a contour line around the outside of the clay model, and then I'll draw a contour line in an opposing color, usually like a neon color that really jumps out over the photograph of me in that position. And then I'll uh, delete or or just hide the, the two layers of the clay model and myself, and I've got a clear image of how far off my clay is from the original. I hope this is making sense. But by doing that, over the course of modeling that clay, I can reproduce myself in clay almost perfectly because I'm constantly going back over and I reshape the clay until uh, until I get it to where the two lines match up. Now, how long did that process take? That process can take anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of weeks, depending on... The time I have to spend on it. But the one thing I do like about that is it's something I can do at the kitchen bar and, you know, and be inside the house with the family. I can sit there with a, you know, a little lazy Susan and a big chunk of clay and just carve away and, you know, my kids can be in the den and I can be in there and I'm not stuck down in the studio. So that's one part about that that I like. And I'll keep the iPad there with me the whole time, either looking at references, reference images of myself in that position again or studying the two contour lines of where I'm at now. As soon as I change it significantly enough, I have to go back and take another set of pictures of, with, of the clay. But, you know, just compare those again to the live photo and uh, add clay where I'm short or carve clay down where I'm, where I'm exceeding the, you know, the live photo. How, how big was the clay model again? It's about nine inches tall. You could probably set it in a shoebox, and it would stick out three or four inches.
0: That's interesting because I, I thought Procreate you used for your initial drawings. I didn't realize that you used it as a way to check your work as you were doing the actual um, uh, sculpture.
2: The whole reason I went to that degree to get an accurate clay rendering of a live model is because I'm trying to reproduce the live model aspect of my work. You know, I'm not looking for an exaggerated or an abstracted form of the figure I'm going to abstract it by making it out of 5,000 horseshoes nine feet tall (laughs) well that's one way to do it (laughs) yeah so that there's already going to be an abstraction in the end result so you know my goal is to have as much of a lifelike representation just in the dimensions in the form and that's that's really why I figured out how to use procreate and all in the layers to uh, you know it's a little more tedious than just building it by hand but uh I end up with an almost lifelike representation of a figure in clay, you know, that's nine inches tall. And at that point, you know, I can use that to then enlarge the larger.
0: Are there any other apps that are important for you uh, on the iPad through this process?
2: Well, Photos is because um, Photos is taken for granted as a stock app, but it's really invaluable to be able to uh, use the photos that I've taken and compare it because other than that, it'd just be a, a drawing app. And I use I cloud Photo Library, but, you know, my Internet where we live now is so pathetic that I end up just airdropping photos to uh, to the iPad Pro rather than wait a day and a half for them to go up and come back down.
1: I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, 1Password. You can learn more by heading over to onepasswordcom slash MPU. So 1Password is the place to store all of your passwords, credit cards, secure notes, and more. And with a 1Password team membership, you can securely share those items and your documents with all of your team members and manage your team members from a secure admin console. And best of all, 1Password for Teams starts at just three ninety nine dollars per team members. OnePassword password for Teams gives you full control over who has access to your team's most important information. So now you can share the simple security of 1Password with everyone. You can manage what your teammates see and do using the admin console and instantly deploy, grant, and revoke access to shared vaults. So maybe all the members of your team need access to certain passwords, but only certain members of the team, or maybe only you, need access to others. This way you can decide who gets access to what and keep in mind although you may know of all the power of one password and maybe you have implemented good password practices All of the data associated with your company is only as secure as your weakest link. And so you want to make sure that all the members of your team are using good password practices as well. Well, keeping everyone safe is a full-time job, but it makes it a whole lot easier when you use a tool like 1Password. Because you're going to spend less time dealing with hacks and phishing scams and lost passwords and more time actually getting your work done. So you can give your team members the tools that they need to take security in their own hands, but also having the comfort to know that you have total Control everything. One Password gives your team members the ability to use strong, secure passwords across all of their various sites, and lets you sleep well at night. So you can learn more about how you can implement One Password across your teams by heading over to OnePassword.com/mpu. And please let the folks over at One Password know that we sent you to them, and that we appreciate their support for the show.
0: All right. So you've got yourself a sculpture you've made with all these processes and software. How do you turn a nine inch crouching man into a nine foot crouching man?
2: So going back to the the toy puzzles that I remember seeing years ago of the R2-D2 with the stacked pieces of plywood or cardboard.
0: And and can I just say for the the, for the record that it's once again, great art is inspired by Star Wars. Let's just (laughs) just leave it there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, All
2: right. (laughs) Trying to decide which side I want to go on because I'm almost as much of a uh, trick fan as i am a star wars that, that's
1: all right they're they're not mutually exclusive it's fine
0: yeah i don't want to
2: start a I don't want to start a fight on the podcast though
0: well, for the listeners at home jason's skype image is him holding i think it's a welding torch wearing a star trek shirt so i i know where you stand brother <laughs> i know where you are
2: listen i'm but i can go toe-to-toe with you on the on the um
0: the star wars too but, but you, you talked about earlier how you were trying to get this, find a way to enlarge these things with 3D imaging, but you weren't happy with the software uh, you had found before. Um, what ultimately did you find that, to allow you to image this thing?
2: Well, one of the problems with the 3D modeling, you know, software that's, that's available, I mean, there's a lot of freeware available. There's a lot of, uh, you know, for every Maya or whatever crazy expensive uh, software that Pixar uses or, you know, game designers we use, there's a free version of a knockoff version of that, like an open source, sort of like how Photoshop has GIMP, if you're familiar with that. But then again, I'm intimidated by Photoshop and I know how to use 20% of it. You know, you know if I were to try to use one of these 3D modeling, I mean, you just look at the screenshots of the user interface and it just, you just get a headache.
0: Yeah, that, that open source stuff is really rough in terms of the user interface, almost every one of them.
2: You know, being a total novice in 3D modeling and having no real clear understanding of it, every time I would look into it, it just I would just walk away, you know, with my head down because I would I'd just get lost in it and had no clue. But I ultimately had a friend of mine that uh, we were in grad school together in uh, Southern Illinois, and... He put me onto a couple of Autodesk apps and you know it comes back around because Autodesk made that iOS app that I had used once but couldn't really get to work for me anymore you know these were Mac versions that were along the lines of that iOS app that iOS app was kind of dumbed down but these were still user friendly but Mac apps that did uh so I knew I had a feeling that they would work a lot better and they worked wonderfully so what were they? The first one that I used was remake. And what it does is you take many photos of an object. In my case, it was the crouching nine-inch clay model that I'd made, the clay figure. Uh, you take photos of that all the way around. So, you know, you have it sitting in the middle of a room on a table or on the floor, and
0: then you just walk around it taking a photo every for about every half step to every step you take. So so it's not like when when you first told me about it, I was thinking, like, like you have to get like one straight on, one straight behind, one straight to the side. But it's a lot more than that, right? It is a lot more than that. Yeah. So I mean, that would be four images, but it's then you split
2: that, you know, and then you have eight and then you split those and you have 16. So from my understanding, you can't have too many photos. I mean, at some point after about 75 to 80 photos, you, you're not really adding any detail, but uh, but it takes a good number of photos to get a scan.
0: How many did you take of your, uh, your sculptor? sculpture
2: I, I believe it was right around 75 to 80 i mean it was it might have been more than that because i i want to say i, t- I edited it out some that were blurry but i mean you walk around taking probably 20 to 30 photos parallel to the ground but then you walk around again holding the you know taking photos from
0: above you just take those with your iphone or how'd you take them
2: you know i I think I took them with my iPhone, but it's possible that I took them with my SLR, but I've done them with my iPhone also, so the iPhone does fine, you know, but after you take the the ring of photos from above, you even try to get down below it. And when I, before I did this, I thought that I could, you know, make it a little bit easier by putting it on a Lazy Susan and just spinning it, you know, a little little bit as I take a photo, but uh that doesn't work. You actually have to walk around the object because the way the processing and the rendering works is they use the background and the the flo- the ground the floor that your the model the object is sitting on to match up all the photographs, which I thought was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask you about whether you had to get one of those specialized backgrounds because, you know, they sell these kits, these these kits where you can put um, things and black out the background and uh, very plain backgrounds for like taking product photos. But it sounds like that's kind of the opposite of what you wanted.
2: I think it is because, see, I was thinking along the lines that you of you that you were is you want to isolate this image and just try to get as good images as you can. But also, They not just the background, but it also uses the lighting source. So if I if I had done what I presumed beforehand was to put this thing on a spinning Lazy Susan, then my light source would change from every photo because I'm not going to spin the lights with it. You know, the light would become, you know, coming off the head and then it'd be coming off the shoulder if I move the model. Well, it uses the light source in conjunction with the background. Those are sort of reference points as far as I understand it to be able to know what it's looking at, what it's supposed to be
0: rendering in the middle so when you so after you take your 75 and 80 pictures uh what do you do with them
2: well that's when you use uh, remake you know you of course uh put those photos on the mac bring them into remake and then after you make sure you don't have anything that's blurry you want to get rid of any you know mistaken photographs you took remake has uh has the function where it It takes all that group of photographs, say 75 images, and it uploads them to their server. Then what it does is it processes and renders a a three-dimensional model, and that takes quite a while. So, you know, you might want to start that at night. And then once the progress bar is all the way at 100%, the cancel button turns into a download button. And then you can just download a specialized 3D model rendered file.
0: That's that's interesting to me. So that you don't even even using a Mac, that's not enough power to do the render. You've got to send it up to their servers to do the render.
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know enough about it to say yay or nay on that.
0: Yeah. Maybe they don't want their algorithm out on your computer. Who knows? But the uh...
2: because Autodesk is one of those companies that has so many different apps, you know, and they all have a similar logo or a similar style logo, and they all seem to work together. So I can see them just as much, you know, maintaining that control as anything. But I have wondered if a standard 5K iMac would be enough to render that process on the fly or on in the, in the computer itself.
0: And in and, and five years, we'll be laughing. You'll probably be able just to walk around it with your iPhone shooting video and it'll be rendered for you.
2: Yeah, Apple's probably going to have that in the Notes app, you know, in iOS 16. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. I, I remember when it was like, to remove the background from an image, it was a massive thing. You needed very expensive software and it it, it was very difficult. And now like you can do it in pages. So why not, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so now when you get the 3D image back, is it like, is that it? It's done at that point or do you have any options or what would, what was, well, I guess the question is, what was it like the first time you pressed that download button?
2: Oh, it was, uh, it was exciting because I was really surprised at how easy it had been up to that point because. To be honest with you it's nothing more than just sort of like using image image capture to just dump a group of photographs onto uh onto an app on your Mac. Surprisingly I had very little to do to it and then other than just start a file and hit upload. You know, it's most likely due to my internet connection where I live but it wasn't but maybe one or two tries and I had a a 3D rendered model of that little figure and it was unbelievable. I could not believe because the cool thing about it is you can pan around and flip it over just like on a store website. You can, you know, occasionally you'll run into a store that has a, a spin around or three three 360 degree view. And you can sort of like rotate, um, uh, you know, a phone or whatever device it is you're looking at to purchase on a website. And it's sort of like that, except you can just you can zoom in and it looked like a little clay figure on my computer screen that I could just pan around and flip over and spin around. It was super cool. Did you were you able to make edits to it or did you need to? Uh no, I didn't need to because well, I didn't really need to do much to it. Now, Remake does have a lot of editing tools because you can get some holes and you can get some uh like big empty spaces in a scan where you know 98% of the object looks perfect but you've got to A big hole right in the in the middle or right there's might be an undercut or something like that. And and that would be a problem if you were gonna three D print this thing. But for my process, luckily I knew that I wouldn't have any trouble fixing that in the end product before I used it the way I intended. But I try I played around with that but I realized that there was a you there was a more of a learning curve for that, so I didn't go too far because I I guess I realized it wasn't worth my time because I I knew I could fix it later on. But I did use the editing tools to remove, you know, some of the backgrounds and the table. You know, I removed all that, so I just had a floating clay figure in space.
0: All right, then what did you do next?
2: Well, from that point, you export it. It gives you several different file options, and the file format that I used was an OBJ, I believe. That uh, its export is that, and then from there you bring that into the second. Autodesk app that I that I uh, was suggested by my friend which is 123D Make. That is the app that brings in the scanned and the edited 3D render and allows you to change the scale of. This one's a really simplified version. I mean this is uh, this one um uh, you know is almost like a a current Apple app where it doesn't have a whole lot of functionality because it does such specific things. And this one this app 123D Make is meant for uh, probably less experienced users to just reproduce a scan in the physical world through a couple of different methods. They all involve slices, so it'll slice it horizontally, it'll slice it vertically. It'll also create a version of the model that is uh, sort of like those balsa wood dinosaurs that you can buy in a kit
0: yeah so you stack them on top of each other and they take a 3d shape by the nature of their cuts
2: well yeah you know you you, like you'll have ribs and then a long vertical piece and then and there'll be there'll be notches out of each that slide into the other one i mean you know as a word worker you can sort of get the idea by having two pieces that are notched out that you turn perpendicular to each other and then they lock together they can produce a 3d render like that that's real real crude looking compared to your scan but it gets you know it's fun for kids or beginners or somebody just you know that needs it as a bare bones
0: skeleton of what they want to make but you can also do the slices where it literally just makes flat slices of the entire image that you can stack on top of you like the r2d2 exactly
2: that's what i did i scaled you know this thing was uh you know seven or eight inches when i brought it in as a scan but so you change the scale and that the does very little to the scan because it's just enlarging the overall scan, but uh, it's, it's enlarging how the app understands it because the next thing you do is choose your material and uh, your material dimensions. So I had intended on getting some two inch thick styrofoam sheets, you know, just like a sheet of plywood except it's styrofoam and it's two inches thick. I convert, I selected my material to be 96 by 48 by two inches. And then you tell it to slice it, and a few seconds later, it changes your 3D model from from something that looked brown and clay, like a little crouching man clay model, into this the same figure or the same form, but sliced into these what, 54 slices tall, and uh, it's a it's less defined, but you know you can definitely see the form there,
0: kind of kind of like the uh. Uh, Minecraft version, <laughs> I guess.
2: Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, it, it really is that. It looks like it's got, uh if it was, say, if it was a giant monument, in a fantasy movie, you, you'd have little characters walking up the side because the whole thing is stepped. You know, every, along the side, you know, you just got these steps going up and then overhanging and then up again. And then at that point, once you've done all that and all you have to do is just uh click the button that gives you the plans, then you can export PDF files of the 103 parts i think it is that that were cut out it also will even nest them in your uh material so you know if you told it you had a four by eight sheet of uh, styrofoam it would nest them into those to those to give you as efficient use of your material as possible yeah it's really it's it's surprisingly cool i mean and and i'm still surprised that you know my first attempt at this went as smoothly as it did because i was not expecting that
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. There's a lot of reasons to need a website. Maybe you're starting a new business or helping out some charitable function in your community. Or maybe you're having a baby and you want to put it on the web. No matter what the reason is that you need a website, Squarespace is the answer. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea, with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. I'm a Squarespace subscriber. I use it for both Max Sparky and my law practice, and there's a reason for that. I wanted a solution that was easy, and I didn't have to worry about it. With the Squarespace all-in-one platform, I got just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if I need any help, and they let me quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. If you want a great website without the hassle, just go to Squarespace. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Now, when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. The next time you need a new website, go straight to Squarespace. And don't forget to use that offer code MPU to get 10% off. We thank Squarespace for their support.
1: So, um, Jason, you were just about to get into explaining kind of how we go from the, the the mockups to something physical form. I mean, how do you, how do you just get this stuff printed out? I mean, did you have to go to a specialized printer? Or, uh, I mean, I'm envisioning, and I know this isn't what you do, but taking these eight and a half by eleven pieces of paper and taping them all together. But I'm I'm sure that's not how you did it.
2: That's how I thought I might could do it. Uh, not specifically, you know, print, you know, printing them out to eight four by eight sheets of paper, but I uh, I tried to do a couple of different things because uh, I wasn't sure how I would get this cut out. I didn't realize how cheap uh, projectors had become because I bought a like an $85 projector from Amazon that would have cost $600 10 years ago. I even tried hanging that from the ceiling in the studio, from the rafters in the studio, put, pointing down and almost had it right to where, you know, it would project... The PDF patterns from the from the last app, 123D Make, that I put in Dropbox, so I pulled one of those up on my phone and shoot it wirelessly to the projector and had that projecting on the floor of the studio at a 4 by 8 foot scale. So I had the right distance from the floor. But one thing that I learned was that just the slightest variation in angle can pretty drastically throw off the scale of what you're working on. When it's twelve feet away, if that makes sense.
1: Oh yeah, sure, it's a huge difference.
2: Yeah, so you know what I had hoped to be able to do was to be able to project the PDF onto a white sheet of styrofoam, then if you know if nothing else, draw that out with a sharpie, you know, like it were, like it were two layers on Procreate, and then cut that as straight as I could with a hot razor or hot knife or or just a razor blade. But uh, I could just tell after a, fur- a few attempts that it was just not going to be. Feasible enough because it was really hard to see, and I just I started to understand that that slight variation was really going to throw off the proportions of the of the finished product if if it wasn't exact
0: yeah I can tell you as a guy who does woodworking just a little bit of a as soon as you give in just a little bit as soon as you're just a little off in your measurement somewhere the whole project just starts to fall apart
2: yeah <laughs> I mean and it would have yeah. and it would have destroyed the whole time I spent on trying to create a you know a, a realistic model you know it it, it would have defeated the pur- the purposes of what i was you know trying to use this process for so what i was able to do was over a day or two of just investigating and uh, tracking down a way to get this cut i found a uh, a printer a print company a couple hours away that had a a, a flatbed milling machine or sort of like a cnc cutting machine You know, it's not like a, you know, I've seen them that have like, uh, torches and can cut steel, but, uh, they use this one with little milling bits on them and to cut out different shapes for signs of like corrugated plastic, like a yard sign. You'd see, it was kind of fun because, uh, they were as interested in the, the uniqueness of the, the, the process that they'd never even tried this before. You know, I was on the phone with them and they were looking up in catalogs to see if they could get the bit and they were. Checking to see if they could fit a two inch piece of styrofoam under their bed while I was talking to them, it was pretty, it was pretty uh, low key but fun at the same time. But they were able to do it, and I think he was uh, just interested enough in what what I was trying to do that you know he cut me a pretty good deal. But you know it's still pretty substantial cost to just take these up there and get them cut. But I was able to drop ship the styrofoam and have them sent to uh, directly to the to the printer because you got to think about. A hundred sheets of four by eight by two inch styrofoam was like uh was like three truck truck beds worth of styrofoam. You know, I'm like you're not oh.
1: strapping that to the top of your Prius and driving it
2: down. <laughs> no, I I mean I wouldn't okay. have been able to fit it in the back of a truck and a trailer. I mean it, it was going to take several trips to haul that. But luckily I was able to ship that straight to them because I found a, a pretty uh, affordable uh, foam supplier, styrofoam supplier out of Arkansas, had that shipped straight to the printer and then emailed the printer copies of the pdfs that i had a uh, that the one two three d make had produced for me when you asked about how would we how would i scale that up to a four by eight sheet you know each pdf had an outside edge to it so the patterns were were illustrated in a square that represented four by eight or eight by eight so they could change the dimensions of the PDF based on the the frame around the PDF, around the patterns on the PDF, you know, so it was going to be scaled as long as we cut that out of a four by eight sheet of foam, you know, the ultimate scale would, you know, scale up to the 108
0: inches that I had designed it as. Nice. I And I think in a lot of ways that makes sense rather than you trying to do it by hand. Anyway, it's super accurate, which is, I mean, this is a tool in the process. It was cost enough that I entertained the idea and played
2: around with a couple options and was willing to spend, you know, 80 bucks on a projector. But, you know, I realized that it was important enough that I did not experiment long before I figured out a way to have somebody
0: else do it dead on accurate. So at some point you end up with, was it 108 sheets of cut two inch styrofoam in your in your in your workspace? And was that like the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle? How do you put that stuff together?
2: I learned a lot through the process and a lot about how to format the PDFs before I sent those to the printer, because uh, one thing that the printer had to do was remove all the numbers that came out on the PDFs. You know, they all had like the layer number or the part numbers, and they had the registration marks, and the printer removed all those because, understandably, the numbers would have been cut with the milling bit, and that was unnecessary. But the problem was they they deleted all the registration marks too. each layer should have had corresponding holes to the layer above and below where I could just uh, use some dial rods to uh, to line them all up perfectly. Well, I didn't have any of those registration marks in my pieces of cut foam. So that's in large part the reason it took 46 hours to put this together because I was eyeballing how each layer should be placed on the layer below it. You know, half the time I've got, I'm looking at a my MacBook Air because I'm just carrying it around with me the whole time. Referring to the 123D uh, the Make app, because in that app, you can also see the layers individually and like stack them virtually or digitally on the screen. So I start at the bottom and then I'd stack the next layer and then I'd go all the way around the model, making sure I had the overlap just right from the one below so it was incredibly tedious but it was all because i didn't understand what the printer needed to receive in the pdf form i've since made a second model with the same process i definitely remember that because i made sure those registration marks and it went from a 46 hour process to about an 11 hour process
0: yeah because they just they just line up
2: yeah they just slide on top you know one slides on top of the next you know
0: because you got these uh these dial rods sticking up that match the holes of the next shape and the funny thing is, we've been talking about this for over an hour now. The uh, uh, you still haven't used any of your horseshoes, but at this point, you've got <laughs> you've got a uh, a nine foot by twelve foot tall uh, stepped styrofoam model of yourself in this crouching position.
2: Yes, uh, I spent a little bit of time shaping it, and do, defining, and doing some of the edits to the scan that I that I was uh, saying you could do in the software. Since I knew it was going to be nine foot tall in styrofoam, I could just carve that out with a, a saw. So I did a lot of that shaping, you know, f- you know, for the next, next week or so before I had it down to where I wanted it. At that point, I was able to start placing the horseshoes on the outside, uh, just right up against the styrofoam. And I was kind of afraid that, you know, I was curious to n- know whether how flammable or... Or, or how much it would melt to be welding right up next to styrofoam, but it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> that
0: would have been a heck of a thing if, after all this, the first one you you light up with a torch, this the all the styrofoam just catches fire and melts in your shop.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I you know the the entire time you know during that forty six hours of uh, you know stacking this thing up, that was always in the back of my mind. Like, is this thing just going to burn <laughs> up as soon as I start welding on it?
1: And obvious, obviously, it didn't.
2: No, it did not.
1: So then, one by one, you started placing your your horseshoes and then welding them together. And how long did that process take you?
2: The first layer to fully encase the styrofoam in a layer of horseshoes, and these were all laying flat against the foam, uh, just touching each other on the on the edges. I probably spent a couple of weeks, you know, encasing the styrofoam figure in hor- in one layer of horseshoes. And at that point, that's when I had to uh, cut a hole in the back of the figure to be able to get in and, uh, you know, get the styrofoam out.
0: And let me just say, Jason, that is my favorite picture of all the ones you sent us. Uh, so just for the folks in Stuck in Traffic, he's got this massive, you know, crouching man that he's sculpture that he's making. He's inside of it, uh, just like gnawing away at the at the styrofoam and breaking it up. Because once, once you had the first layer, then the styrofoam had essentially served its purpose. And you had to get it out of there.
1: That's probably the point when you wish it would become flammable and could just <laughs> be an easy way to take it up. Maybe not so much with it being nine feet. But.
0: Yeah. You know, what's
2: what's funny is uh, before I, you know, crawled in there and just started cutting it up and chipping it away, chipping away at it and kicking it out the hole, I uh, I used acetone to tr- to see if I could melt it because acetone, uh, it's, it's a funny thing. Uh, it's not it breaks styrofoam down. If you ever pour acetone on a piece of styrofoam, it just melts instantaneously. I mean, it just, it just melts away. So I tried that first, but there it's just, it's hard to understand how much styrofoam makes up a nine foot figure. I mean, it's like a cargo van of styrofoam or almost two cargo vans, of styrofoam stacked up that are solid. So after a full gallon of acetone and really very little, you know, melting going on, compared to the whole thing, I knew that was going to be a waste. So that's when I went ahead and started cutting the hole in the back because I knew I, I didn't have any choice except to just crawl in there and just start chipping away at it, you know, slowly. <laughs> How long did that take you? That took me several days, um, you know, do, using hand saws and you know, just trying to pry the pieces apart. One of the bad parts is that, you know, all that melted foam from the acetone kind of made it a little nasty to begin with because i started you know i poured that on the back to you know see if it would melt it so i had to get dig through all that melted styrofoam but uh you know that took uh took a few days to get that out after i got going good and got my all in there with a big pruning blade on it like a 10 inch blade I, I started chipping away at it but it was styrofoam everywhere i was wearing a full face respirator you know that it was just a re- it's it's a respirator but it also has a face shield on it that has a seal around your face because there was not a square inch of my body that was not covered in little
0: white balls and and in mississippi they don't have any humidity so i'm sure it was fine
1: (laughs) so i just think about whenever you unbox a big um you know technology product like a tv or you know something that's packaged in a lot of styrofoam i always think about man how am i going to get rid of this you know it's not super recyclable and i gotta fit you know we we have like um we only have so much trash that we can throw out on any on any given week so i'm like oh man i gotta break this down and and stuff it in the trash can or or see if i can take it somewhere where i can recycle it I, i i can only imagine what what your trash guys thought of you as you're trying to like get rid of two cargo vans full of styrofoam you must have had to have that special hauled away
2: well i've got a dumpster but uh you know, it only empties once a week. So it was several weeks before I was able to get rid of it all. But the funny thing was that I had not anticipated this, but you know, when I was talking about the acetone and just how, how much there, just the volume of it, uh, it, you know, I kind of lost track of just the volume of uh, what was there. It was all compressed into a figure, which, you know, kind of goes back to the, you know, the conceptual origins of that pose was like, that's the, you know, smallest amount of volume that I can take up. Well, that's the smallest amount of volume that that foam could take up, because once you start breaking it up and throwing it out the hole in the back, it takes up ridiculous amounts of space. You know, I had it compressed into like this big ball, essentially. But once I broke it all into pieces and threw it out the back, it t- it filled up the whole back half of the studio. It was it was insane.
1: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Eero. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Euro has created the dream Wi-Fi setup. A fast, reliable connection for every room in your house and even the backyard. If you're not on board yet with Eero's super slick Wi-Fi, now is the best time to join because they've just released their new second generation devices, as well as their tri-band second generation model. They're also introducing the new Eero Beacon, allowing you to build a Wi-Fi system that is perfectly tailored to your home. With the addition of a third 5 gigahertz radio in the second generation Eero, it is now twice as fast as its predecessor. It lets you do more than ever before. For whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to blanket your entire home with fast, reliable Wi-Fi. Eero sits flat on any surface. You simply plug it into the wall with the included power adapter, and you're ready to connect your Eero either over Ethernet or wirelessly. Then the new Eero also includes a Thread radio, which lets you connect to low-power devices such as locks, doorbells, and other sensors. And Eero is introducing the new Beacon as well. It's just half the size and even more powerful than the first-generation Eero. You. just Just plug it into a wall and expand coverage into any room. You can add as many beacons as you want, so long as you have an Eero device, and it even includes an LED nightlight with ambient light sensor. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand, and you can easily create and share a guest network, too. I just installed the new second generation Eero in my house and I am loving it. The new beacons are so cute. I love the night light feature and you can plug them in and add them anywhere, which makes it great to cover those hard to cover spots in your home and just plugging them into an outlet means you can put them almost anywhere you need to. The new Ero system starts at $3.99 for one second generation Ero and two beacons, which is everything you need to get started. And listeners of the show can get free overnight shipping when they head to Eero.com and use the promo code MPU. That's Eero.com, promo code MPU for free overnight shipping. And thanks to Eero for their support of this show. So, Jason, how, how does the story end? What what becomes of, of the Crouching Man? So we know you've got by this time, you know, I think you said over five thousand horseshoes that went into this. And we know that these were, were donated by by one of your benefactors. Um where where is it now? At this
2: point, you know, I can tell that it I can just see how it's coming along and that it's, you know, I'm on the back end of uh, of completing the sculpture, so, you know, I'm feeling really confident, and really good about how this is going because at this point it's all the unusual processes are essentially behind me now. Um, and it's all gone so smoothly. So I was, uh, especially proud of how it was coming along and I knew it was going to be, you know, a nice piece. And I wasn't very surprised when, you know, the collector that had get donated the horseshoes definitely said that he
0: was interested in the purchase. So, I mean, why wouldn't he? I mean, there were it, all those years, those horses, he has, I mean, he has a connection to the actual materials. And that's one of the coolest parts
2: about it is after we, when we took it to install, they, you know, he, he was there and, you know, a couple of guys that worked for him, uh, you know, one, one of the guys that runs the stables for him, they were all able to like walk around and look at the horseshoes and be able to point out whose was like, there's old blues shoes, you know, and there's, uh you know, there's little Sally shoes because they were small, you know, they were, they could remember the horses by looking at the shoes and identify, I mean, most of them were on average and could have been for for any of their horses, but it was so cool to be able to see them walk around and pick out the shoes that they could identify and, and just imagine the memories that they had of that, those particular horses, which as far as, you know, my interest goes, I wasn't as concerned about the horseshoes so much as just the, the overall sculpture, but it ended up, I really ended up getting a kick out of being able to, deconstruct that material and remove that context from it, but still be able to see them go back and appreciate that that side of it because of the personal connection they had.
1: Now start to finish, how long do you think this did you figure out how many hours or, or how much time this project took you? I
2: can't I mean there's no way I can say exactly. After after finishing this that sculpture, I've been asked that by so many people that uh, I looked into time tracking apps and that's another uh, another use that I've gotten into, using my phone, is tracking the time of sculptures that have followed this because you know it it is something that it comes up pretty much every time people are interested in it. I do know that uh, it was right around the end of the year, somewhere around the middle of December of 2015, when I were was making the sketches, the original, the initial sketches, and the and had the idea, and we delivered and installed the the full sculpture at the end of march so surprisingly it was only three months which you know three to three and a half months which compared to a painter or something someone like that you know it's it would seem like a long time to commit to one artwork or but uh as far as i was concerned if you had asked me two years ago if i could do this i would have said no if I had even ventured that I could attempt it, I would have said that's a two to three year project.
1: It stuns me that you said three months. I thought you were going to say March of 2017, at least. I, you know, I thought we we're going to be a year and a couple of months. It's, well, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. it It's still surprising to me because I'm, I'm not kidding. I would I don't think I would have had the nerve to commit to this a couple of years ago, but I definitely would have never said it would be, it would take me less than two years. But In all honesty i think it's you know it's it's the use of technology and the way i've been able to use you know the different apple devices i've got and you know figuring out that process you know along with the physical side of things and uh, that's the only way i was able to ever pull this off and it i couldn't be happier with the results or the you know or the way the process went
0: yeah i mean you didn't even just do the sculpture you actually figured out all the tech in the what in the process Uh, Where do you see this going? I mean, it seems like technology played a big role in this project for you. Um, Where do you see technology in art today, and where do you see it going in the future?
2: You know, I would say my exposure might be limited, but the, uh, you know, I mean, I keep up with things going on in the art world, but I guess I probably would always feel that way just because there's so much that you, you can take in as far as art is concerned, but just my anecdotal understanding is that i've i see a lot of artwork a lot of sculpture using this 3d modeling and the technology associated with it at this moment i think it's still early because they seem to be commenting on the technology if that makes sense like it's it they're using technology to make artwork that is essentially about technology and uh sort of making a statement about the technology itself and you know society's use and The advancement and the speed and all that so it's a little that's sort of the easy pickings when it comes to the idea of things once it becomes an integrated process for art making then it's it's not going to be the subject matter is not going to be the technology itself but it'll be another process like welding or painting or working with a type of wheel that you want to make a clay pot from so it'll be integrated as a tool and not a subject matter i think At the moment, I still see so much of it uh, that uses this technology still being the subject of the artwork that it makes me realize that it's still early days as far as that's concerned because those artists haven't even gotten over the idea of using this as a tool. They're still using it as a subject matter and a tool, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it it certainly democratizes the process in a certain way. I mean, like, you're a guy working in your studio alone and I mean, how would you have done this without, you know, those foam models? I mean, as silly as it is, fun to make fun of, you know, going in and cutting the foam out. I don't know how it would have been possible.
2: Yeah, I don't. I can tell you it would not have been because now the other side of this technology is the professional foundries. You know, there have always been professional foundries that have that have cast metal artwork for sculptors, you know, like a lot of the old famous artists that you see that have bronze castings everywhere they didn't they didn't, they weren't as hands-on with those castings there's always been art foundries that have made the artwork and now those art foundries have adopted this technology in real useful ways in real direct ways that and they they can use this to take the idea of an artist and produce it in much more efficient ways you know it would cost me as much to have them produce this or make this as it would that i could sell it for if, if that makes sense. So, uh, earlier in my career, then, you know, some artists would be that that made sense for them. But, uh, at this point in my career, I could never have made that and been able to, uh, you know, make a living or make money off of selling the artwork, but still it's sort of the poor man's way of, uh, of doing this. But, but then again, I'm not sure that you know the art foundries have even used the technology to do exactly what i've done either
0: yeah i was just saying how can an art foundry do five thousand horseshoes i mean i don't know
2: well that's the thing they would have as an artist you might have been able to pay them to uh you know a hundred thousand dollars to you know create a digital copy of this you know they would have brought a model in and scanned it you know with laser scanners in a booth of some kind and then they would have they could have possibly you know scanned a number of horseshoes and composited those on digitally and then combine that into a render. And then they might could have done something like that, but it it would have been far more than I would have ever been able to ask for the sculpture is what I'm getting at. Like,
1: well, no, it, it would not have been nearly as authentic as what you did.
2: No, no, definitely not. No. I mean, that's, that's the one thing is as a geek, I'm totally comfortable and actually ex- get excited about using the technology in different ways to assist me or, or really facilitate a process that i would not have been able to do otherwise but you know i still got the hands-on you know dirty artist side of me you know working with the welder and the grinders and you know just a dirty studio that i like the hands-on part that i'm fully comfortable marrying the two of those sides of me together to make something interesting and unique
1: right now one of the things I want to make sure that we touch on because we're we're running out of time is how do you use technology to help you manage um, the the practice side of it, um, not so much the artistic side of it, but you know, obviously, you to to manage your um, the business side of it and and helping you not just create the artwork, but but manage, um, you know, facilitating that creation.
2: Well, as far as uh like the business side of it it's not as extensive because i'll make a handful of sculptures in a year and have uh, a smaller number of clients or collectors that uh that are interested in my work or then uh, say another small business might have customers or clients just just based on the nature of the sculpture that i make that it's labor intensive and it takes time and you know i might make 3 or 4 sculptures in a year maybe a little bit better a little bit or a little bit less depending on the the specific sculpture but those sculptures you know they can make up a decent income for me that I can that I can live off of so I don't there's not an extensive need for a, like a customer management application or any kind of software like that but one thing that I have realized within the past year or two that is pretty necessary and important these days is just the the social aspect of it and i've always been sort of i mean I'm, i guess you could say i'm a little introverted and that's why i work as a solo artist in my in my own studio but i didn't take to uh, all the different social media you know facebook and instagram you know based on my private life or the private life of my friends but what i have come to realize is that getting my uh Sculpture out and not my sculpture because my website is devoted to like finished uh, Slides and images of the installed sculpture, but one thing that I know that I've seen that is super important is to uh, Show people the process and an ongoing You know in in place of a blog. Maybe it's just an image uh, Or or the images of uh, what I'm working on now and that's starting to create a following You know on the social uh, media platforms and i think that that's going to become going to become more and more important as i go along because it's exposure is pretty important as an artist because i mean if i made all this and never told anybody about it or never showed anyone they would just start to collect in my backyard or you know back behind the studio so you know being able to represent myself to the public is pretty important as far as you know It's the whole one of the reasons I make artwork is to have the public be able to see it. I mean, I make large scale public artwork that goes in public spaces. And the idea the desire there is for the general public to be able to enjoy and appreciate these these sculptures. So I've started in the past year, I started using my a lot of my technology to really uh, be able to illustrate the process of all this and have. You really have to commit to it because you get I can get so involved in the process of working in the studio that I have to make myself stop and go take an image or take a photograph of this. A lot of times I'll use my Apple Watch and the uh, the camera app to be able to take images of myself working to show the process, illustrate the process even better because it shows me doing something instead of just a static image of. What I've just done.
0: Yeah, if you don't know it, there's an actually an app on the Apple Watch where you can trigger the the lens on your iPhone. So you just point it at yourself and push the button. Totally, and I use that all the time when
2: I'm doing something pretty intensive because it has a uh, it has a timer. Uh, you know, I always use the three second timer, and. What's funny is I use my nose almost always because I've got heavy leather gloves on, so I'll use my nose to start the timer and then start welding. That yeah, makes sense. It happens. No your nose will trigger it. Yeah, I mean I've got I've got to be I've gotten pretty good with my nose on that camera app on the watch, but <laughs> what I don't understand is why you can only you you it has to take a burst. If you ever use the timer on your on your Apple Watch camera app, it uses uh it takes a ten burst series of images which you know is not that big a deal sometimes it's useful if i if i need to choose one that's better than the others but it's just weird that you can't use the timer without it taking 10 images in a burst format but and uh, um, the time lapse videos that i use that i've been taking i think those are those are really useful in showing uh, a longer process condensed into something manageable too but i guess to get back to what you were asking katie is the um being able to represent myself uh, online on a, on a steady and consistent basis, I think has become a really relevant aspect of just the day-to-day business of, of, you know, making artwork because if I just pop up three or four times a year saying I made a new sculpture, it's less relevant than it. And people, you know, people that follow me, you know, I found out that they're super interested in following the process and, Every time I think, why am I doing this? Because I'm just showing the same thing, you know, just a little bit of a difference, you know, a little bit of, further along the step each post I make, you know, somebody comes up sending me a message saying, talking about how much they enjoy it. And it just, and it's gratifying, but, you know, it's just, I think it's just be, going to become another necessary tool to be able to do where, you know, uh, instead of writing a regular blog, because just like you guys n- know that, as a blogger, you have to consistently be producing that content or you're less relevant. Well, I think that's sort of how it is for an artist. And that's what Instagram
0: and Facebook for me has become. Yeah. And we're going to put links in for Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and and gang. Check out his Instagram photos. They're awesome. A lot of the stuff we talked about today, like the time lapse of building the foam crouching man is in there. There's some great stuff in there.
1: In fact, it's probably, although we're at the end of the show now, uh, probably useful to look at that, you know, kind of before listening to the show, because it gives you an idea of kind of what we've been talking about all along in the, in the scale of it. So, uh, well, Jason, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on and to hear about the process and how you use technology um, for the amazing work that you do. Um, tell people we, we talked about it a little bit, but tell people one more time where they can, where they can find you and find your work online.
2: Well, my main website, which is a uh, Squarespace Site of course which i meant to tell you guys i think i actually signed up several years ago with uh, an mpu all right promo code, yeah it's so, yeah. <laughs> yeah i was getting a i was getting a discount for quite a while based on from you guys but that's at jason so i was able to grab that domain there's a couple other jason kimes out there but luckily none of them uh none of them got the domain before i did so
0: that's kimes with a k
2: yeah it's just like uh sort of It's like uh, the New York Times, but with a K. So it's Jason Kimes, K-I-M-E-S dot com.
0: And there's also Instagram, Facebook and Twitter accounts. We're going to go ahead and put those in the show notes. Jason, uh, congratulations on your success. And, you know, just as a nerd, fellow nerd, I just love the process you went through here where you wanted to do something you'd never done before and you found the technology to help you along to make it happen. I'm so happy for your your success and this this great sculpture you made well
2: i appreciate you guys having me on i i've been thinking this whole you know throughout that whole process of how cool this would be to be subject you know the um to be able to get the technology and the use of it out there but i didn't i didn't expect to be a guest on the show but i sure do appreciate it and i've had a blast
1: all right thanks jason and uh we want to thank our sponsors for this episode uh, that would be Fracture, 1Password, Squarespace, and Eero, and we will talk to you all next time.